Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Family and friends get together and hearts are merry. Children are in wonder and expectation. It is a time filled with bright lights, beautiful decorations, and the delightful sounds of joy. How did this season come to be? Christmas is about a baby born whose single life changed the world for good. More than anyone else who was ever born, Jesus changed the world for good. Christmas is promise, presence, and peace. Well, good morning, everyone. So great to be here. Wasn't that in a great worship set? I get to watch that every week over at Richmond Rosenberg. It's so much fun. Well, I'm so glad to be here, glad to be with all of you watching online as well. No matter where you're at in the world, thank you for being a part of our Sugar Creek family today. We hope that you've been blessed by our worship. We hope you enjoyed getting into the season. If you're not yet into the season, you are now, right? It's that time of the year, uh, my favorite time of the year as well. And so maybe you've seen these, and these are conjuring up some emotions right now, like, I need to get going. I need to start shopping. It's time, right? For others of you, you're thinking, man, I can't wait. Christmas is coming. It's that time of giving and receiving, and I'm just excited. Look at the colors and all of that. For others of you, maybe like me, you're going, man, I wish I could rap like that. I just can't do it. I cannot rap like that at all. I use so much paper. My wife says, you are the worst waster when it comes to paper. I fold so far over and I try to minimize tape usage, but I maximize paper usage. Any of you in here do the same thing? Come on, be honest. Guys, raise your hand. You, yeah, you. thank you. I feel all alone up here all of a sudden. You know, but this is that time. It's the time of the season. So let me ask you a question. Go back into your memories. Do you remember a time when you received the best gift you've ever received in your life. Can you remember that moment when you opened up that gift and you were just blown away? You were in awe. It was just a special moment where you're like, I never saw this coming. Or maybe a time in your life where you gave the best gift ever. Where you had that gift and you had it all wrapped and you were ready to give it and you couldn't wait for the expression on the person's face when they opened it. I had one of those moments in my life a couple of years ago. My wife and our family is, uh, we're big Disney fans, whether you love Disney or hate Disney, we're Disney folks, okay? And, uh, and so one year I discovered that Disney has an annual conference in Anaheim, California. And so I decided to get off lift. I went off script in getting Christmas gifts because we have lists that we have to follow in our house, okay? I went off script and I went and purchased tickets for this conference. And I couldn't wait. It was the last gift. I actually hid it underneath the Christmas tree as, oh, look, there's one more in there, you know, playing that whole roll up. And I remember my wife opening it. And at first she's looking at it, it's a piece of paper. I'm like, what did you just give me? And then she reads it and you can watch her face just changed. She was so excited that she got to go and be a part of that conference because her husband loved her. 
You know, the tradition of giving Christmas gifts every year brings about the excitement for family and friends and loved ones. Children in millions of households are anticipating the excitement of opening gifts like this, to wrapping, uh, unwrapping these packages and opening the bags and destroying the boxes and destroying your living room as they look forward to what is gonna be inside those gifts. Spouses are planning right now what gifts they're gonna give each other to show their love for one another. Friends are thinking through what are they gonna give to connect with and continue the bond that they established with their friendship. The Christmas giving has been a tradition. It's something that we look forward to. It's the giving of the gifts that bring joy and spreading joy throughout the holidays. But sometimes the giving of presents at Christmas can overshadow the presence of Christmas, of what Christmas truly is. It's easy to overlook the first and real present that we ever received, a gift from God in his son, Jesus. The greatest gift ever given was his son and his Christmas presents. You know, the tradition of Christmas gifts began when the wise men showed up They showed up at the manger and they saw Jesus and they were overjoyed beyond measure. They were in the presence of God. And the first thing they did, they worshiped him. They bowed down before him. They brought their love and admiration through worship. And then, out of that act of worship, they gave gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. We sang about it this morning. And those earliest Christmas presents represented a kind of a exchange of a, a spiritual kind. First, God gave us the greatest gift in human form in his son Jesus. And then in, in, in return, the wise men gave gifts back out of love, pouring out love because of the Christmas presence of Jesus. It was a natural outpouring of their overwhelming joy. And we're going to look at that story this morning. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, open up to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible or Bible app, we're going to have the scriptures on the side screens or in the lower thirds on your TV screen if you're at home. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. It reads, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So who are these guys anyways? Who are these magi, these wise men? Some songs say kings. Were there three of them? Were a bunch of them? Was it a traveling group? Were they all men? What if the wise men were really wise women? Well, first of all, they would ask for directions. Right? They would get there on time, of course, right? They would assist in the delivery of the baby. They would clean the manger. They would make a casserole. They would bring the right gifts like diapers, and there would be peace on earth, right? Amen, women? <laughs> well, these guys showed up out of nowhere. We have no idea where they came from, why they were doing this, how they followed a star, whatnot. And then all of a sudden, after worshiping, After bringing gifts, they disappear, never to be read about or heard about again. We don't see anything about them. Their narrative is we don't even know what country they came from. We don't even know what political system they represent. 
We don't know if they, how they got here and what the meaning of the star meant, that they would be following a star, a star in the sky. Even the characters of the original Christmas story go, their appearance is somewhat perplexing. The word magi actually comes from the Greek word magos, which we know as magic. And it was believed that these were ancient priests who studied constellations and the, scar, and the stars to determine wisdom and direction in their life. Huh? Can you imagine living in a day where people actually consulted constellations of stars for guidance in their life? Hmm, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? The text says, though, they came from the east, possibly the Arabian Peninsula. And based on the cargo that they were carrying, there's probably a lot of them, not just three. And so they show up in Jerusalem as foreigners. They come looking for this king of the Jews. They come looking. They are following the star and they're looking for insight, for information, where to go find this baby. This is an entirely different king that they're familiar with. But here's the problem. There's already a king. There's a guy named Herod, King Herod, Herod the Great. And he's not at all happy that these foreigners have showed up looking for the king of the Jews. He's like, I'm the king of the Jews. So what does he do? He summons all of the Jewish leaders, all the Jewish teachers. He brings them all together and says, go find out where this baby is gonna be born. These guys are here right now, right? And so they're trying to find where Jesus is gonna be born, this baby's gonna be born, and I wanna know where, and they go off. And they come back and they say, there's a minor prophet, this guy who did some ancient writing back in the day, his name was Micah. And uh, he tells a little bit of what we think might be the location of the birth. And in our Bible, it's Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in the Old Testament. And this is what it says. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The king realizes it's going to be in Bethlehem. And he goes, huh, I've got some palaces near there. What I can do is I can send these magi in advance. I'll tell them, go worship Jesus. Go worship the baby. Go go bring your gifts. But then come back and tell me. Go back and tell me where he is so that I too could go and worship him. Look what it says in verse 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I, I too may go and worship him. And right after their meeting with the king, the magi leave and they go and they follow the star and they're overwhelmed when they discover it's in Bethlehem and they they come right to the place where Jesus is. And then in verse 11 of Matthew 2, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mom, Mary, and they what? Bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They come to the house, they see Jesus, and the first thing they do is they worship him. These were alpha males, these were kings, these were rulers, these were wise men, these were higher ups, these were top shelf leaders. And the first thing they do is they make themselves small. They bowed, why? Because they know they're in the presence of God, who too has made himself small in the form of a baby, who humbled himself to come to this earth. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts. They, that, led, that worship led to giving and they gave some very unique gifts to this child. 
Now, there was a story of a nativity play that was played out with four-year-olds. There was a four-year-old Mary, a little girl, four-year-old Joseph, little boy, and then there were three wise men, little four-year-old boys, who all had a line that they had to say as they presented their gifts to Mary and Joseph. So the first boy came up, and he just looked at Mary and Joseph and said, I bring you gold. And then he walked away. And then the next little boy came up, and he says, I bring you myrrh. And then the last boy came up, and you could tell on his face, he was a little insecure of his line and wasn't certain, a little confused. And he walked up, and he looked around. He looked at Mary and Joseph and said, Frank sent this. (laughs) The gifts that the wise men brought were very unique gifts. They were very important gifts. They were significant gifts. They were eclectic gifts. But why? Why these types of gifts? Well, the first gift they gave was gold, and we all know that gold is very valuable. It has been a monetary driving force for as long as we can remember. There's really no explanation for gold other than the fact that gold is very valuable. The second one was frankincense, which is from a tree resin, and it was used for, as a, um, for indigestion or pain relief. So it was like the rollades or the tums of its day. Myrrh was a oil, it was a medicinal oil that was used for uh, pain relief, for use for an antiseptic, to heal wounds, but also to embalm those that had passed away. Now these aren't gifts that you would find on the Babies R Us baby registry. Okay, you're not gonna find them, but they were unique. They were on purpose. They were by design. Some say, some scholars believe that the frankincense and myrrh together were more valuable than the gold. And it was estimated that the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh were more, they were worth more than any wealth that Jesus accumulated in his entire life. So he's got a lot of value in these gifts. But see, this story doesn't have a happy ending. It turns dark pretty quick because the king realizes the magi haven't come back. Look what it says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So we see that the Magi have been gone about two years and they haven't been back. And the king goes, I've been duped. And so now I don't know where to find this baby, this king of the Jews. So I've conjured up a plan and I'm gonna put it in action, and I'm gonna kill all the babies, all the boys, two years and and younger. But Jesus and his mother and his father, they hightail their way out of there. Mom and dad discover through a dream that this is gonna happen, and they go to Egypt, and they're exiled in Egypt, some believe anywhere from five to 10 years. So Joseph, who's a carpenter in Nazareth, his profession is there in Nazareth, is living in exile in Egypt. How are they gonna afford to do that? How are they gonna pay for everything when they're living away for five to 10 years? The wise men had given gifts of value to his family. So think about this. The wise men, their gifts saved Mary and Joseph and Jesus, who 33 years later would die on a cross to save us. Their gifts saved Jesus so that he could save us. That's the very heart of the Christmas story. It's a picture of what God can do when people give as as an act of worship. And that is what I wanna share with you today. 
I want to share with you the heart of why the Magi gave and the principles that we can learn from them as they gave these gifts to the king of the Jews. And the first principle I want us to look at is that the Magi gave intentionally. They gave on purpose. They gave thoughtfully. They didn't just kind of act out of obligation. They didn't just give accidentally. They traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles in order to present these specific gifts to Jesus. And that's what we learn from this, is that we're to give intentionally, that we should never give to others, whether it be in the form of a gift or our presence because of obligation or because we just have to do it or it's something that everybody else is doing, but we're to give because a life lived out of generosity is the best kind of life to live. Many of you in this room have received gifts from people that have blown you away, that have blessed you. Many of you in this room also have given gifts that have blessed other people. There's just something about it when we feel that we've been blessed or been able to be a blessing that really brings a certain level of joy that we can't even describe. A few years ago, my best friend and I went on a fishing trip to Canada. And we spent a week up there fishing, and at the end of the week, we went to the resort to pay off the bill, and we got there, and, and my friend looked at me and said, Tim, I want to thank you. This has been awesome to come up here and go fishing. I want to let you know I'm going to pay for you. I mean, this is a $1,000-plus trip. And I looked at him, I said, you don't have to do that. He goes, no, no, no. I just want to bless you. I just want to thank you for our friendship and, and be a blessing. I mean, that was overwhelming to me. My wife and I have a family in our lives that are really struggling financially, and we often put money in the mail randomly just to bless them. We've done things for them that they don't even know we've done for them, and we love it. We celebrate that because we are giving intentionally. We're giving with purpose. We're giving strategically because we, we know the, the joy that it will bring other people. You know, there was a research that, uh, research that was done by a group that is from a non-faith-based uh, organization, and the leader of this group, his name was Adam Grant, and he does some interesting work in what he calls reciprocity styles. And this is basically just means the way in which we relate to one another. How do we get along? Basically, he discovered that there are three groups, three groups of how we relate to one another. And he put these groups in, and he describes them. The first group the first group is called givers. These are the people who like to give more than they get. These are the people who are always thinking about the needs of other people. And they ask the question, what is it that they don't have? And how can I meet that need? If I don't give then, who else will? Those are givers. The second group are takers. Any guess on what motivates them? Takers will likely take more than they give. They pay attention to the needs that they have in order for them to be successful. Here's a question that takers ask. If I don't look after myself, who will? But then he defined an interesting third group he called matchers. Matchers just want life to be fair. They want life to be fair and balanced and even. And they're always looking and keeping score of what somebody has and what somebody doesn't have. And they ask the question, if I give something to someone, I probably should get something back. But if, I give, if somebody gives me something, I probably owe them something as well. Now, just really quick, mentally, which group do you fall in? Because you fall into one of those. Are you a giver? Are you a taker? 
or are you a matcher? See, they didn't just do this research to come up with three groups. They did it because they wanted to study and see who in our life are the most successful and most accomplished people. Who are they that are the most successful and accomplished people? So who do you think it is? Is it the givers, the takers, or the matchers? Well, it wasn't the takers. In spite of how much they would take care of themselves, it wasn't them. It wasn't the matchers, in spite of how fair and balanced they set up their lives and their resources. It was the givers, people whose fundamental motivation was giving. The electrical engineer and his productivity and how successful he is is a giver. The med student who achieves high test scores, they're a giver, they're giving. Why? Because of their field of expertise? Not necessarily, but because of the relationships they've established And the more they poured into other people, the more that they gave to other people, they built these relationships where there was reciprocity, there was return. There was people who would love and show support to them in return. And isn't it interesting that a non-faith-based research organization, their information correlates what Jesus has been teaching people who live by faith for centuries, that it's better to give than to receive? Look what Paul says in chapter two of Corinthians, chapter, I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. Jesus tried to tell us that 2,000 years ago. Be a giver. Don't be a taker. Don't cling to what you have. Be generous, release it, give it to other people. So wouldn't it make sense to be intentional, intentional about something that has such a great impact on our quality of life? So to be intentional. Secondly, the Magi taught us that we're to give extravagantly. See, they gave extravagantly, they gave creatively. They didn't just bring their leftovers. They brought the most precious gifts, things that were hard to find, hard to acquire. They brought things that of high value. They were incredibly difficult to acquire, but they knew the importance of them, and they brought those. A lot of times when we hear the word extravagant, we think it's gonna cost us a lot of money, or it's gonna be a large portion of it, and we think about how elaborate, maybe it's unattainable for us, but when we bring it, it's that. But that's not what's being said here. It doesn't mean the amount that you give and it doesn't necessarily mean the amount that you paid for the gift. Jesus talks about extravagant gifts when he tells the story in in the book of Mark. He's at a worship service and the people are coming forward to give money to the treasury at the temple. And he's watching all of these very wealthy people give their money. And then a little old lady walks up and she has two copper coins. And she takes those two copper coins and she places them in the box. And Jesus turned to his followers. You know what he said? He said, she gave extravagantly. She gave with more value and more worth. What she gave is higher of value than anything else that anyone else has given because she gave from that position of extravagance. See, extravagance is not about the worth of the gift, but the cost of it. Extravagance is not about the worth of the gift, but the cost of it. There's an interesting phenomenon going around, maybe you're familiar with it, it's called re-gifting. Now many of you may 
have fallen into that phenomenon, but if you don't know what regifting is, it's when you get a gift from someone and you're very thankful for that gift, but that gift doesn't fit your need or fit in your world, or maybe you don't have any use for it, or maybe you don't even like the gift, but you accept it because you're a good person and you put it into a cabinet. And then one day it comes around when you need a gift for someone. And you reach into that cabinet and go, oh yeah, remember I had that thing? And you grab it and you rewrap it and you re-gift it. Some of you are laughing because you know you've done this. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but what I'm trying to show here is that Jesus wants us to give gifts extravagantly that come from our hearts. We see that Jesus did that in a story in John chapter 2, verse 10. He's at a banquet with his mom. It's a high-end banquet, and there's a lot of prestigious people there, and they run out of wine. And Mary, Jesus' mom, comes to him and says, Jesus, can you help us out here? We're all out of wine. And Jesus is like, Mom, it's not my time yet to, to do ministry. I'm, I'm still connecting with people and building relationships. But he does. He performs the first miracle. He gets the servants to bring him water, and they bring the water. And what does he do? He turns it into wine, not just leftover wine, not just re-gifted wine. He brings high-level, top-shelf, the best of the best wine. Because Jesus understood that when you give, you give extravagantly. You give the best you can. And then lastly, what the Magi shared us with us is that they gave out of a place of love. They, knew, they gave because they knew they were in the presence of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This giving was a response to God's love for them. They were experiencing God's love. The presence of God led to the presence given. The response to the greatest gift the world has ever received. The value of their gifts had more to do with how and why they were given more than their material worth. Giving what they had and what they could to him, they did what God desires from all of us. It's often said that God is love and that Christmas is love and love is the force that causes the natural outpouring and desire to give, to honor connections, to honor people, to honor relationships because it's bringing our relationship to God full circle. Whenever we give out of a place of love, whatever it may be, the gift comes from and is given back to God through caring for another person whom God loves. You see the circle? We give as an outpouring of our love for God who in turn God loves that person. In Luke chapter six verse 38 it says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The birth of Jesus fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us, a gift truly given with the intent to love and to heal and to nurture is not only a way for all of us to give, but also presents ourselves for others to usher in God's presence in that relationship because of our kindness, because of our caring, 
because of our, the giving of ourselves. That's the real gift made possible by God's love. Could it be that the giving of ourselves is less about material amount and more about a heavenly presence? Absolutely. A gift truly given with the intent to love and to heal and to nurture and make ourselves present brings in the presence of Jesus in all of our relationships all the time. Whether your Christmas present is a sweater given to someone to keep them warm, maybe it's to bring a home-cooked meal to a family in need, maybe it's to provide a toy for a family with kids who are in financial hardship, or maybe it's just your ministry presence, you being available in the life of a friend or a family member who is going through a difficult time. Know that whenever you give in this way, you worship God. And then when somebody gives to you in that way as well, remember that is God using them and working through them in your life to feel his love in you. This day, this Christmas year, try not to let your gift giving be something that's of an obligation, but as an act of love and devotion. Let your gift be intentional, on purpose, thoughtfully, with meaning. Let your gift giving be extravagant through your love and being fully engaged in a relationship with your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your classmates. Let your gift giving be done with love, fully surrendered, fully given with a pure heart, with no expectations of anything in return. It releases you. It allows you to feel the joy of giving without any expectation in return. And then turn your presence into prayers for them. Remember the first Christmas presents that were given by the wise men as they stood in awe of the Son of God being held by his mother Mary. They traveled a long way to be there, to be present And it was their being there with Jesus that completed the gift that was already given. Him, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Think about that. God with us. Somebody once asked Dallard Willard, who passed away years ago, but he was a famous scholar and author, about why did the incarnation of Jesus have to happen? Why is it that God felt the need to become human? And here's what Dallas answered. It's because human beings individually and corporately are struck down and are stuck down in this hole of trying to manage their lives. And in that hole, they cannot see very much. So they need someone to come into that hole and bring along the idea of another world. So that's what happens with Jesus. It's not only does he come into the world, but he comes down into the world of each one of us. He comes to be a part of our world in such a way that he can contact any of us. Now, I, it could happen to me. It could happen to you. Maybe it has happened to some of us. But that's what Christmas is about. It's all about God coming down into our little hole and saying, are you okay down here? Do you want to see something different? And we all would. We all would want to see something different. For us, though, as humans, what we want to see different, some of us want to see more finances coming in our way. Maybe more success, maybe more recognition, maybe more safety, maybe more stability, maybe more security. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. There's something different that we're all made for. We're made for a relationship with God. 
And it's to have God, the one who made you, the one who has made me and loves us, to have this personal, interactive relationship with us so that when I experience deep, deep aloneness, when I experience fragmentation in my world and split and alienation inside of me or in some of my relationships, I can be healed because of him. And the God who I do not see, but who has made himself known uniquely in the person of Jesus, the light that entered the world, I can now walk with him. You can walk with him right now. And I could be walking with him right now and I could be in a conversation with you and I could be praying as I'm talking to you that God's words would come through my mouth, that it would be reflected in my face and in my disposition and how I talk to you and how I present to you and how I show love to you. And then we can, we can be given wisdom and power and love and grace and forgiveness and the ability to persist and live. See, we're not trapped in that dark hole any longer. We do not have to manage our lives on our own. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what this season is about. That is the Christmas presence. And maybe as we enter into this season, you are experiencing a hole in your life where you've just blacked out of the whole idea of Jesus being in this season. And maybe this is the day where you enter into the month of Christmas where you turn and surrender your heart back to him and say, you know what, I don't wanna be in this hole anymore. I don't like being in this hole. Jesus, would you come and pull me out of this hole? You know what, he will. If we surrender our lives to him, if we come back to him, if we've walked away from him, he's ready, arms wide open, to pull us up out of that hole. Maybe this is the day that we enter into this season brand new, starting fresh with him. Would you pray with me? God, for many of us, this hole is real. It's something that we've been living in. It's something we've been struggling with. We don't feel your presence. Would you come into our world right now? Would you come into this hole? Would you be with us? Would you pull us out of this hole so that we may find that joy? That, Lord, we may experience your presence so that we can be intentional and giving back to others because of your love for us, that we may be giving gifts of extravagance through our person, through whatever means you've called us to, and may we do so out of an act of love because you first loved us. So Lord, we ask that you pull us back, pull us out, pull us close to you, and we pray this in your son's name, amen.